This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. From the Headstuff Podcast Network, welcome to the world according to Wikipedia, the podcast that explores the weird, wonderful, and baffling world of Wikipedia, the people who write it, and what makes them tick. With me, Fanula. And me, Rebecca. In this episode, we will talk to Shauna Boyle, a science communicator and founder of the House of STEM. Let's talk about Pride. Ooh, one of my favourite months of the year. My other favourite month is October, obviously, because who doesn't love Halloween? Fair. Very fair. Uh, but you will be glad to hear that Wiki loves Pride too. Tell me more. Wiki loves Pride takes place to coincide with many international Pride celebrations. This was primarily US-centric ones that start in June. Uh, to improve, widen and deepen the representation of LGBT plus communities across language Wikipedias. Different user groups geographic, thematic, and language groups work together to write about LGBT plus people, places, events, and anything else that is related to this topic locally and, I suppose, more broadly. It was first held in 2014, and now with the creation of the Wikimedia LGBT plus user group has expanded its activities every year since then. And there is even a Queering Wikipedia conference that took place uh, remotely this year in May. Oh, wow. That's an awful lot. Does Wikipedia have a special pride reward thing, kind of like the virtual cookies? I'm obsessed with the virtual cookies. So various different Wikimedia groups and Wikipedia projects, uh, like Women in Red, are, you know, this month and going through the summer, running writing challenges and other events, virtual and in some places in the world, physical a little bit jealous. Uh, and in normal times, many more user groups would run local events to coincide with their pride, like photo walks or editing workshops to encourage new editors and contributors to take part. And we've done that here in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And those events would have literal cookies, which jealous. we all love. And individual campaigns like the Women in Red will have their own ways of recognising the efforts of their editors on Wiki. Okay, cool. For this episode's random rule, would you like to know about Wikipedia and sock puppets, meat puppets, and recognising ducks? <sighs> I'm not sure. It sounds weird. Okay, so these are words used for particular behaviours on Wikipedia. Unwanted behaviours. So what do they mean, like, in the wiki sense? In the real life sense, I kind of know what a duck is. Good. Tick. Always yes. good. When someone creates multiple accounts to evade things like being blocked from editing, for having been a vandal or or something like Mm -hmm. that, these multiple accounts can be called sock puppets. So it's literally somebody making throwaway accounts over and over again, trying to do the same things to evade a block or something like that. And they can use these to try and continue to edit after being banned, or they can also be used to try and manipulate discussions by making it look like more people agree with the sock puppeteers standpoint. Yeah, those are there are similar kind of accounts on on the Twitters as well. Exactly. Once again, disruptive behaviour, as we say elsewhere on the web, turn up on Wikipedia. Hmm. 
but you still haven't told me what a meat puppet is, or in fact, what a duck is in relation to Wikipedia. And I need to know. In a similar vein to sock puppeting, meat puppeting is when accounts are created which give the impression that they're being run by an identifiable person. But in reality, it isn't them. So you're literally pretending to be somebody you are not. Okay. Got it. But again, in this attempt to subvert and manipulate perhaps events on on wiki. Gotcha. But again, Rebecca, the duck. Tell me about the duck. I feel like you're kind of burying the lead somewhat here. Just, you know, come clean. The duck is the duck is a simple element here. When you suspect an account of being a sock or a meat puppet, you report it. Okay. So you cite the edits and the behavior as evidence that you believe this account to be used in this way. An, ad, an admin will then come along and review this. And if it's a clear cut case, so it's really obvious, they will say it is a duck. As in, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck. It is a duck. Exactly. Gotcha. Right. Thank you. Once upon a time, Fireside is the Irish storytelling podcast. Every week we breathe new life into old stories from folklore and mythology, from the mysterious landing of the old Celtic gods, to the epic wars fought by Cúchulainn and Queen Maeve, right down to the petty squabbles between headstrong mortals and roguish fairies. We already have a huge collection available with a new episode every Wednesday. This is not just a podcast for folklore fiends, but for anyone who enjoys a good story. And who doesn't love a good story? My name is Kevin C. Olan, and I am your host and your fireside bard. Wherever you are in the world, you can always join me by the fireside. We're now going to talk to Sean about the work he has done with Pride and STEM Day and Wikipedia. Hello, uh, my name is Sean O'Boyle and I'm a science communicator and I also work on some projects to try and improve the experiences of LGBTQ people in STEM like myself. Welcome. It is fantastic to have you. Full disclosure, myself and Sean know each other and uh, have gas crack most of the time when we meet up. I know it's been it's been a while now as well, hasn't it? Through Science Gallery, I think. Yes, yes. And I think Science Gallery will probably come back as a theme, uh, probably in the future, I would say. So you're here today to talk to us about um, House of STEM and the activities that you've been doing with them. So first of all, what is House of STEM? So House of STEM is, I always describe it like an informal network, almost like an academic network of people who work in the same area. And we've had it for a few years. And essentially, I wanted to meet other people who were part of the LGBTQ plus community, working in science or science communication, or even in research more broadly, and sort of creating this network that could be a little beacon and a little umbrella for us seemed like a good idea. Um, And I was inspired a lot, obviously, by excellent work that had already happened. Pride in STEM, um, which started out in the UK, and then also other groups like OSTEM. But they were very you know, they were very structured. I think they had a lot more people behind them and we're in Ireland. So <laughs> there are fewer people here. 
So that's why we sort of kept it as just an informal network, a community. We sort of keep in touch, work together sometimes to do different events, different workshops. But for the most part, it's just been a way for keeping us connected and sharing stuff with each other. Um, and it's also been a nice way because, you know, it's not a bunch of us as individuals, because we have this sort of thing to tie us together. It's really helped us work with groups internationally. Um, so one of the things I work on a lot is the International Day for LGBTQ People in STEM. And having House of STEM as this network, this umbrella, this sort of logo and title that collectively brings us all together um, just meant it was much easier for us to get involved in international uh, initiatives like that. So that's what it is. It's an informal network. It started, I'm trying to remember how long it's been. I think all sense of time is gone now. <laughs> so, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> but, but I do remember when it, it started out, which was at InspireFest. Um, and I had just seen a talk that, um, as is probably intended at InspireFest, it inspired me. <laughs> and I remember marching, um, well, marching is is a strong term i walked cautiously <laughs> towards um some people from science foundation ireland which is sort of our national body for science in ireland um and saying hi i'd like to do something that sort of starts a conversation here you know around the experiences of lgbtq people who work or study in science like can we talk about this and they invited me in for a conversation i think a month or two after that and so in the meantime, I was like, okay, I need more people. <laughs> so that's that was the the sort of spark for it. And there's a lot of amazing people, it turns out, in Ireland who are part of the community and who are also science nerds. So how we worked together on this is that you've you've done one or two um ed- Wikipedia editing events with uh, particularly the Pride and STEM day that you mentioned, which is mm-hmm. later in the year, I think, from 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 yeah, November. Yeah. So how did you end up gravitating towards that kind of event? Well, honestly, it's because I learned so much from people like you, from people like um, Jess Wade, from Alice White, um, on, first of all, the the relevance and sort of impact of Wikipedia, but also just what it means to have, you know, women and minoritized groups represented on that platform. And, and the reasons why, you know, I'm always, I think, I think, Twice now, I think I've I've had the opportunity to to hear and see you speak about um, the reasons that these uh, issues exist in Wikipedia, and it makes such sense. <laughs> and it's like it's such a it's such a clear thing that we can address through getting a few people together and you know running a um, a wikathon or having a workshop or showing people how to do this. Um, so I learned about the value of, of Wikipedia and representation on it from you. <laughs> And then, you know, from, I think from, for me, definitely working on LGBT STEM Day for short, the International Day for LGBTQ plus people in STEM, it made me realize that A, there's this huge international community um, that we're all finding each other. We're still finding each other. It's incredibly exciting. It's, for me, it's the most important community I've ever felt. And I think that for a lot of us, we want to do things that are tangible. It can be very hard work to do things like encourage changes in policy, whether it's in your university or in your country or wherever it is. But Wikipedia was something that, okay, most people can contribute to this in some way. And then delving into sort of where are the 
the gaps in representation for especially on sort of the science end of of Wikipedia for for queer people definitely was on um, on sort of the the people who had listings you know like the people listings I don't know what you would call those but it's also in like the the sort of the perspectives on science and the relevance of science and the history of science. If I'm I'm going to jump into an example, is that okay? Because this is something that I was I was thinking a lot about recently. So Science Week in Ireland last year. So I think it happens in November. It happened just before LGBT STEM Day. I can't remember. Yeah, it's early in November. And there was a last year there was um, a TV sort of event across three nights, and it was to celebrate science in Ireland and to look at our history of science our international connections, our achievements, our people, all of those things. And they had a a segment in it. It was like a five-minute segment on Alan Turing and his links to Ireland. And I I think it's the the details are lost because I watched it in a cloud of rage (laughs) because they went into details about his ancestry, his Irish ancestry, and, you know, where you know where they were from and who owned a farm and who lived down the road and and they went through this entire sort of life of Alan Turing discussed his links to Ireland but also discussed the impact he had on the world in sort of the development of computer science in code breaking during World War II and at no point during this segment did they mention a that he was gay or queer or or part of the community or b that he was essentially killed for being part of the community and it was upsetting and it was, it was a missed opportunity. It was a missed opportunity to, to represent, you know, the contributions of queer people to science historically. And I think that those moments can really erase us from history. You know, we know how that happens across other areas um, of history, but, but this was an example in the history of science and for me, Wikipedia is something that's a bit more democratic than it's like, well, we can make sure we can make sure these things don't happen on something like Wikipedia um, because it's collaborative. It's community sourced. Um, it feels just more fair. It feels like people will use Wikipedia, you know, for their own research, for their own learning. So for me, it felt like, OK, well, here's a place that we can actually do something. You know, I can't do anything about the production company who made this, you know, segment for a national broadcast but i can do something about wikipedia I do wonder is it something about the smaller irish context that we find ourselves in that perhaps there still is an element of conservatism absolutely because there was the also the problematic inclusion of dr james barry within the herstory series exactly so yeah very fundamentally misgendering somebody consistently throughout a piece yeah and if you look at you know and i looked at um Dr. James Barry's Wikipedia entry, and it's it's excellent. You know, so it's like you you can see how when a handful of people make a choice that's informed by their own bias, their own, you know, no matter their intentions, maybe they were like, well, we don't want to talk about this because we don't want to get it wrong, or we don't want to, you know, that's giving them all of the benefit of the doubt. But you know, I think it's very different in in James Barry's um, case. I think that was that was very unfortunate, and it actually what was interesting from that herstories. So this was a TV series that was exploring um, women who had a tremendous impact on Ireland's history. And obviously the inclusion of James Barry as a trans man was 
pretty problematic uh, in that series. But then what happened was in during the, the pandemic, when RTE had a homeschool series. Um, so this was designed to sort of supplement kids who were missing out on, on school because of the pandemic. And there was one of the lessons mentioned James Barry in a, in a similar context and a list of women in who I think it was maybe women scientists in Ireland. And again, incorrectly included um, Dr. Barry in that list. But it was, and I spoke to the producer afterwards about it, and it was because their source of information was the previous RTE broadcast. So it's like, yeah, it's this constant issue of of sourcing, and you know, and and that's why, like, if if Wikipedia was their source, it would have been so much better, you know. And I don't know why that it, you know, and I don't know why that it's like the perception is the opposite, especially amongst the scientific community. It's like, you know, there's so many inaccuracies in Wikipedia, but it's like. Here's an example of where the inaccuracies were in the national broadcasts and in the published articles and the published TV shows. Wikipedia was the accurate one, you know, so I don't know how that disconnect. Yeah, that was born out of, I mean, it, it kind of, it's it's now kind of a, a good reading of Wikipedia, but of course that was born out of quite a lot of hard conversations that were had perhaps about a decade ago. You know, those things being hashed out on talk pages and it still happens where somebody will come in and try and change pronouns or insert pronouns where the community has decided that no, and generally the the convention is is just to refer to them by their surname, especially where in life they didn't express an opinion one way or the other, that we respect that as much as possible. So it is quite nuanced, really, which I think is quite surprising mm-hmm. for a lot of people that Wikipedia would have that level of nuance to it in that space. So it is it, it is a testament to the community, but it's, it didn't happen overnight, I suppose. Is there a wisdom of the crowds element as well? Is there like... I remember working again in Science Gallery. I knew it would come back um, on a an exhibition called Risk Lab. And we worked with Dr. David Spiegelhalter, who he was a professor for the public understanding of risk or risk probability and statistics or something like that. But there's this like experiment, like a, a sort of a, well, it's like a, a social maths experiment that we tried out at our launch event where we had a jar full of marshmallows and my colleague Diane was the only person who knew how many she put in there which is an awful job for her but we asked everyone like hundreds of people came to the launch and we asked everyone to guess how many were in it and through sort of you know getting the it wasn't it wasn't as simple as getting the mean of everyone's um guess it was there was standard deviation involved and I can't remember exactly what the formula was but like it was like spot on it was exactly the right number of marshmallows guessed and I feel like you know, when you include more people, especially if you include a diversity of people, <laughs> you have a better chance of getting accurate information. I don't know if that's if that applies to sort of the curation of things like Wikipedia, but well, I think that's that's the the intended effect is that yes, the more people you have, and that's why I suppose articles that have less attention tend to have more issues with them because there's less eyes, less people, less input. Whereas if you have something that's high impact and people are already looking at it, then it's going to get that extra level of scrutiny and perhaps not be derailed by one or two people with a very strong strong opinion on something. So that's a nice nice example there, yeah. Yeah, in a way, it sort of follows a bit of a peer review process, which is nice, you know. I mean, I think the other thing, aside from, you know, historical figures in science, the other thing that's, I think, Wikipedia maybe empowers particularly queer scientists to help shape a conversation around is 
how science is framed and interpreted, you know, particularly around if you think about things like, you know, the the science of um, sex and gender and development and all of these things that have really historically been framed by the same group of people all of the time <laughs> um, without without sort of any people who who never had reason to sort of you know step out and question how they're framing the science and therefore miss knowledge like there's a there's a thing in um particularly in in biology and particularly in clinical research where if you don't include the lived experience of people with whether it's you know whatever you're studying if you don't include people's lived experience then you have an incomplete data set because that's data it's it's valuable um it has to go through a process to be contextualized but it's still valuable um and so i think that has historically happened you know across the board in biology even you know if you look at health research and how how so many um experiences of women have been absent from that throughout history and how so much work has had to be done to like really pull that apart and put it back together again (laughs) in a way that's more accurate because you know finally women had an opportunity to to be part of that process it's the same for things that affect um gender and sexual minorities you know it's like a lot of that stuff it 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 needs a healthy um reframing to make it more accurate not to make it less accurate it's not that's the the perception is that like it was fine missing some really important perspectives and i think that's possibly a more difficult you know it's it's much easier to to sort of contribute to the history of a person or an event in science but to try and stop sort of shape the contextualization of how science is explained in wikipedia i don't know if that's something that you've thought about i'm sure that's a complex thing well it it would have parallels with um some decolonization work that is being done you know it's reflecting on on what the sources are and what context they're coming from and it would also play a part in especially on english language wikipedia you know who is writing about whom so through what lens so that that would obviously permeate most content most topics on it and there was kind of historically an issue on wikipedia it's becoming less and less so as access to certain sources is getting better, but quite often, like, you know, very fundamental articles, like say on Egypt, would rely on really out-of-date sources because they were the only ones that were available at an accessible level for Joe Soap or Josephine Soap, who's going to do her editing. And like you kind of hope that perhaps, you know, conversations around open access and the fact that we've all had access to JSTOR and things like that throughout the pandemic will help to nibble away at some of those systemic issues that we find. You know Sean a long time. I do, I do, and it's so funny that we actually can't really get to the bottom of how long we know each other or why necessarily. But uh, we have been in each other's orbit, I suppose, uh, for a great many years, and have gotten to work together on a lot of very interesting. Uh, things like Wikipedia workshops, but also some of his work that he did with the Science Gallery. Um, and it's just always enjoyable mm. to work with him. So it was great to be able to to collaborate with him further. And we hope to do more in the future. Excellent. And it, like, it was a very good conversation between the two of you. I found myself, when I was editing it, like listening very closely. It was good. Oh, good. 
Good, because there's always that, that worry that when you know somebody very well, that perhaps the way you talk to each other might be a little bit impenetrable to those mm-hmm. around you. So, But Sean is uh, an eminent communicator, so it doesn't surprise me that obviously when he speaks to what he's passionate about, he's very clear and uh, has the goal of educating as many people as possible and, and bringing them along with him yeah, as he, yeah. As he has that conversation. Um, there's a whole extra bit of that conversation that isn't available in this podcast, but will be up on headstuffplus.com in the coming weeks. So if you want to hear the full conversation, you just need to subscribe to Headstuff Plus and pick us as your favorite uh, podcast because we are your favorite podcast. I say this every week because I know it's true. Not every week. Well, I do say it every week as well, but every episode I say it. And, you know, along with us, you pick as your favourite, you could also pick two other podcasts and you get access to all of their, their get access to their back catalogue and all of the bonus material that they have. But equally, regardless of what three shows you pick, you get access to all of the back catalogue of all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Plus network, all of their bonus episodes. So you're supporting a whole community of creators, producers, just fantastic people from across Ireland and beyond. Um, I have to say one of my favourites, and it's one that I've been listening to for quite some time, is Words to That Effect, uh, which is quite kind of soundscape and uh, really immersive. So if you're interested in that kind of, I suppose, uh, radio lab type experience, highly recommend that as a podcast. And it's a five euro a month plus VAT, uh, which is a bargain, really. Um, so do it. Sign up. Pick us because we're your favourite. Who's this episode's hero, Rebecca? I think you will like this. My hero this time, my heroes this time, are librarians. A whole load of librarians. Some of the world's truest heroes. Although I think you might be a little bit biased. (laughs) This is very true. That comes with the territory of being married to a librarian, obviously. But at the moment, there is a campaign going on on Wikipedia called One Lib, One Ref which is also the hashtag if you're interested in looking it up. The idea behind this campaign is for every librarian possible to add just one reference to Wikipedia to content that has been tagged as citation needed. Oh, nice. And a good way to get librarians on board with the wider Wikipedia world. If you think about it, it's a match made in heaven. We've talked about glam work before, galleries, libraries, archives, museums. Well, libraries have been Wikipedia's longest ally in that space. And again, if we think about that, it makes perfect sense. Librarians, their whole job is to get the right information to their patrons, which is exactly what Wikipedia wants to do. Also, librarians have those information retrieval and critical assessment skills that often takes, you know, a Wikipedian a long time to develop fully. And not to mention all of that fantastic institutional access to sources that not everybody Mm. would have. True. It makes me think of that Neil Gaiman quote, about the internet, when you type in your your query, giving you loads of results, but a librarian will bring you back the right result. And that is why they are the perfect Wikipedians. Just today, Wikimedia Australia reported that over the three weeks of their One Lib, One Ref in, uh, campaign in Australia and New Zealand, librarians have added 1,735 new citations to Wikipedia. Powerful stuff. Incredible. 
And that was the world according to Wikipedia. Join us in two weeks. You can subscribe to us on your podcast player of choice. Follow us on Twitter at world underscore Wikipedia. Thanks to Patricia O'Flaherty for our artwork and Headstuff for production assistance. Go to headstuffpodcast.com for show notes and more information and to support the Headstuff Plus network. We'll start all over again. I interrupted. Shouldn't have interrupted. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.